Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. In the Lord's Prayer, we beseech God with these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We need to ask ourselves, are we truly desiring God's kingdom to come? And are we people who are committed to the will of God? Realize the kingdom will be established and the will of God, there's no question about it, his will shall be done. The question is this, am I going to participate in these things? Am I committed? Am I a person that is going to alter my life in light of these biblical truths? If you rise, you will do so. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 45. The book of Isaiah and chapter 45. Now, we began this chapter last week, and we saw something. We saw that there is idolatry in the world. We saw that the world has been corrupted with sin, even though when God created the world, he created it perfectly. We all know that in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, God looked at his creation after the Spirit of God moved, after God spoke, and in the end, God says, Behold, it's all very good. And it was only because of you and me, that is humanity, that sin was brought into this world. And sin brought about corruption. It brought about a disorder. But through one thing, and that is redemption, there's going to be a restoration. It is because of Messiah's work of redemption that the kingdom will come and God's will will indeed be fulfilled. Notice what it says here in our passage today. Isaiah chapter 45, beginning with verse 14. We read these words. Thus said the Lord, the labor of Egypt, the merchandise of Cush, this is Ethiopia, and the Sabaeans, also a mighty people. So these three people groups from Egypt, Ethiopia, and the Sabaeans, strong people from the continent of Africa. It says concerning them, that they are, and the phrase is, Anshe Mida. Anshe, men of, or more inclusive, people of, and the next word, Mida, means a measurement. And we're talking about men of, of stature, of reputation, people who have significance. 
And despite this, know that, notice what God says concerning them. He says, unto you they will pass. Unto you they shall be behind you. And they shall walk in chains. They will pass. And unto you they will bow down. Unto you they will pray. And what will they say? Surely with you is God. There is no other. Ephes meaning there's nothing in regard to these idols. Now, the word here is God, but it refers to gods, meaning these false gods. There's nothing to them. So there's going to be a realization that it's the God of Israel that is the one true God that he is going to move and he is going to bring a change. These individuals of stature, these weighty individuals of power and wealth and such, they are going to, in the end, follow after Israel, acknowledging that it's with Israel is this spiritual revelation of heavenly truth. And they are going to be, because of their commitment to the world rather than the kingdom, they are going to be enslaved. Now look at verse 15. Indeed, you are God. And the next phrase means that has hidden himself. Meaning this, that God is only found through his word. He is found when people looked deeply into creation, ponder and seek him. But in the natural, God is indeed hidden. He is the God of Israel. And notice what else? He is Savior. And this term for Savior, Moshiach, comes from the same word, Yeshua. This word, Moshiach, means the one who makes salvation. And it implies something. That if one does not make salvation and there's only one who can do so, God, this is of course speaking about the Son of God, unless he makes salvation, there's not going to be salvation. So it's all dependent upon God, the Savior. Speaking about the nations, he says, they shall be ashamed and also disgrace all of them together. They shall walk in, in shame or disgrace. Now, it's literally in the past tense, but the implication is it's a future event, but frequently we see the past tense being used in Hebrew in order to say that this future event is for sure. It is as good as done in the mind of God. So they will walk in shame, and who is these people who are walking in shame, it says, and this means the, the workers of idols. Now, it's very interesting here, the word that is translated idol. It is the word seer, and it has different uh, meanings according to different contexts. But seer, if you just say that in Hebrew today, they will speak of it as a door hinge. And what's unique about a door hinge? 
Well, without the door hinge, the door won't open. Without that, it's simply part of the wall. But because of the hinge, the door can open and you can pass from one place to another. And what this word for idols mean is this. It's speaking about a person that once changed, they want to bring about a different reality. But instead of wanting God's reality, his will, what do they do? They create their own God so that they can experience what they want rather than the will of God. Furthermore, look now to verse 17. Israel has been saved in the Lord. Now, some of the rabbinical scholars, they also notice the past tense. And they're saying here that this has to do with a promise. This speaks about the future, what God's going to bring about in the end time. In the same way that we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will be done, we know that's going to be a certainty. And in the same way, Israel's salvation is a certainty. Look again at verse 17. Israel, literally it says, has been saved in the Lord. That phrase, in the Lord, speaks about a covenantal relationship. And what type of salvation did they experience? It says, Teshuat Olamin, which means an eternal salvation. And because of that, it says, they will not be ashamed. They will not be disgraced. Now, this expression, lo tevoshu ve lo tikamu, this is something that's well known. Every Kabbalah Shabbat, meaning every Friday evening, as we welcome the Shabbat, this scripture is sung within a song called Lachadodi, meaning come my beloved. And it speaks about God's future plan to redeem, to redeem his beloved people. And why are they beloved? Because they're so wonderful? No, because they have a covenantal relationship with him. So it says here, they will not be ashamed, they will not be disgraced. And then it said, ad olame ad. And this is an eternal promise. This fact that they will not be ashamed and disgraced is forever and ever. Verse 18. For thus said the Lord, the creator of the heavens, he is God. He has formed the earth. He has done it. He has established it. And it's not going to be, in the next phrase is tohu, meaning it's not going to be done in vain. It's not going to be done in confusion. There's going to be an order. It is not going to lack the intent of God, but in the end, it's going to manifest the intent, the purposes of God. What is his kingdom? And that's why we see that phrase that, that we're taught in, in the new covenant. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It is God's kingdom that is going to bring about the fulfillment of his purposes. And this is what this scripture is speaking about. That God has made the world. He has established it. It's not going to bring about confusion. Rather, he has created it for a purpose. And that is 
for people to dwell. It literally says to dwell. This is why he has formed it. And all of this creation and the order and the purposes of God reveal, notice how it ends. Ani Hashem ve'en'od, I am the Lord. There is no other. Only God. No other gods. Idols, false, deceit, untrue. They do not have any ability to bring about any change whatsoever. Now look at verse 19. He says, Not in secret have I spoken in a place of the land of darkness. He says, I haven't spoken in a dark land in such a place. I have not said to the seed of Jacob the same word for confusion. He says, I have not said to Jacob that, that you are to seek me for confusion. God is not the author of confusion. But God says, seek me. Why? So that we can know his truth. That we can understand his purposes, his plans, so that we can participate with it. So he says, not for, for confusion that I have said to, to Israel to seek me, literally, to the seed of Jacob. I am the Lord, the one who speaks righteousness and declare the upright things. Now, we're going to see, as we approach the conclusion of Isaiah 45, we're going to see that there is an emphasis upon the term righteousness. And it's so unfortunate because when we get to one verse, verse 24, the NIV, the New International Version, which is a very ungodly biblical translation. I can remember I was speaking in Denver one time, and I pointed out that the NIV is a bad translation. The associate pastor, he took great, great uh, uh, displeasure in that. But when we look at the NIV, it may be popular. It may be what, what many congregations have for the people to look at. It is a very poor translation. It removes, in many places, the term righteousness and replace it with the term deliverance or something. And it's simply an attempt to move away from the righteous standards of God. When we see God speaking prophetically about the kingdom, one of the most common words that we see here is truth and righteousness. Now, here in this passage, it's going to be the word righteousness. Notice what he says. I am the Lord. And then we have a Hebrew participle. It's the one that, that speaks, so it's describing God, a participle speaks of an activity, but the purpose of that activity is to describe someone, the one who's carrying it out. So I am the Lord, and he says, the one who speaks righteousness declares those things which are upright. And because God says such things, what should be the response? Look now to verse 20. God is saying to, to Israel, and in one sense, even beyond that, he says, be gathered and come and present 
together. And who's he speaking to primarily? He says here, they're refugees of the nations. Now, this foreshadows something. It foreshadows that there's going to be a great, great redemption. And this is speaking about God bringing a change into this world. Bring the, the seed of Jacob, Israel, out of the nations and returning them to the land of Israel. So in one sense, this primarily relates to the Jewish people. But we're going to see that it has implications for the nations. Are they going to support this or work against it? Are they going to be changed by the manifestation of God's will? taking place or rebel against it. So he says here, be gathered together and come and, and draw near all together. This is a presentation. It speaks about a, a demand for action. He says, the, the refugees of the nations. Now, in speaking about the nations, he says, they do not know these ones that carry their idols of wood. So he makes a, a distinction between the refugees coming out of the nations, which the context, that seed of Jacob, the Jewish people, and idol worshipers, those who want their will rather than God's will. Those who turn away from the true God and embrace falsehood. So he's speaking about a change that's happening, and he says, and they pray to a God that will not save. Idol worshipers, these who carry around their, their own spiritual baggage, meaning this, that they are seeking a God that listens to them, that they can control that they will, will command and he will do. And as I say so numerously, my great concern is this, that in some of the most largest congregations throughout the world, they grow based upon this false teaching, that God is my errand boy. He solves my problems. He does what I want him to do. He helps me fulfill my desires. This is idolatry. This is what Isaiah is speaking against. So he says here, they are praying to a God, a God that will not save. Verse 21. Declare and present. Even take counsel all together. And he says here, I want, and this is a broad, now he's speaking to all humanity. And what does he say? He says, I want you to declare it. I want you to present it. I want you to take counsel among yourselves and, and respond to this question. And what's the question? Who has caused this to be heard from before, meaning long ago? From, from long ago that, that it's been declared. Now, what is God speaking about? This final plan of redemption. One of the most significant prophetic events. And let me share with you, there are many popular Bible teachers 
that never mention about the Jewish people coming back to the land. They, they don't see anything significant any longer about the land of Israel. They believe the significance of Jerusalem is in the past, never to be visited again by Messiah. They, they do not put any significance on the fact that Messiah himself said in the book of, of Acts, when he was speaking before his ascension to his disciples, when he says that he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel, that he's going to return back to the Mount of Olives, which is east of the old city, that he's coming back to rule, and he's going to gather up, in fact, Matthew chapter 24, verse, verse 30, 32 says, or 31, says that, that he is going to send forth his angels, Matthew 24, verse 31, to gather up the Jewish people. That's what he means in this context about the elect, to the land of Israel. He is doing this. We're living in a time when the Jewish people are coming back. I live in Israel and have the privilege of seeing the, the fast-paced building that's going on, how cities are exploding. Despite what you hear about terrorism and conflict and war and rockets, all that's true, but nevertheless, the people are coming at an increasing rate. Why? The will of God. He's God, and he sets things in order. And this is what he's saying. I've said this. I've caused this to be heard from long ago, from since, meaning also in the past, it's been declared. And he says, who has, has revealed this? Who has caused this to be heard? Who has declared it? Surely it's I, the Lord, and there is no other God except me. Now, I want to pause for a moment because uh, this expression where it says in this passage, ve'en od Elohim mi biladai. Some have taken this to mean everything is God. Everything, just put it all together and it equals God. This is a false teaching. This is not what it means. And what they do is to take a passage out of context. And let me give you an example of this. Normally I like to just stay in the passage that we're dealing with. But look for a moment to the book of Galatians and chapter 3. The book of Galatians and chapter 3. Three. I want you to look at verse 26. Now, I can remember, this was several years ago. I was back in the States, and a friend of mine said, I want to take you to a meeting. And this was a meeting of, of supposedly followers, disciples of Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And they were meeting, and it was all about their desire to, to embrace all religions. In order to make us all one, it was a, a meeting champion, championing religious pluralism. And this is what the speaker did. He says, I like to quote from the Apostle Paul. And the passage, and he never gave the, the passage, but, but we confronted him afterwards and asked, where does it say that? This is what he says, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. 
all of them are sons of God. Period. This is how he began his, his main keynote address. He was the primary speaker. We are all, he said, sons of God. People like hearing that. He says, I say that too. My friends that are Islamic, my friends who are Buddhist, my friends who are Hindu, we are all children of God. Recently, the, the Pope, he assembled a group of different religious leaders from different religions. In this same, same concept, we're all children of God. But here's the problem. He only read the first few verses. He didn't complete what's said. When we look at it in its entirety, it says this. All of them are children of God by means of faith in Messiah Yeshua. So unless you have faith in Messiah Yeshua, you are not a child of God. But he didn't like that. So he just takes a passage out of context out of the, the message of the verse in order to suit his needs. And let me say, this is a form of Christian idolatry, making the word of God, not speaking its truth, but deceiving people and quoting scripture, not in the purpose of the will of God, but for his own desires. And this is happening in an ever-increasing uh, amount throughout the world. So he says, let's go back to our text, Isaiah 45, we're in verse 21. He says, surely I am the Lord. There is no other God except me. And notice what he says, a God of righteousness, literally a righteous God and Savior. Now notice that these two things go together for a reason. It tells us that God's saving power is for us to behave righteously. Now, I never teach a, a legalism. The order makes all the difference. What the scripture is saying is this, God saves us, this righteous God, he saves us so that we will behave righteously. It is not our righteous conduct that leads to salvation, but salvation that leads to righteous conduct. And again, he says, a God of righteousness and Savior. And he says, and Zubati, there's none other besides me. Because of that, there needs to be a response. And this is what he speaks to in verse 22. He says, turn unto me and, and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Now, this is inclusive. God desires that no one be lost. God is not a respecter of persons, meaning he wants every ethnic group, every race, every language, people from every nation to respond to him. And this is what he says in this verse. Look again at verse 21. Penu Eli, turn unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, this is the third time he says it, and there is no other. Verse 23. Now, God is making a marvelous invitation to humanity. 
And he says he's Savior. He's a righteous God that saves. And he says in verse 23, In myself I have sworn. It's gone forth from my mouth. What has? Righteousness. It's the same word repeating in different grammatical constructions, but that same word for righteousness. Now, here's the biblical message. If you do not want to live righteously, you are not a candidate for salvation. Oftentimes when people present the gospel, they don't do a good job making this point because the gospel involves turning away from sin. And when you turn away from sin, it's for the purpose of embracing that which is right. Now, I'm not saved because I do a good job doing what's right. I can never do right. I will never do anything that's righteous in God's standard of righteousness before I'm redeemed, before I'm saved, before I become a new creation through the work of regeneration by means of the Holy Spirit. But be assured, he saves me so that I can be like him, do his will, be committed to his purposes, and his purposes are righteous. Therefore, he says, look again at verse 23. In myself, I have sworn, can't get better than that. It has gone forth from my mouth, righteousness, and the word will not return. And therefore, what should one do in light of this? Well, notice what it says here. And we all know the verse from Philippians chapter 2 where, where Paul quotes the scripture. And he says that, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God that Yeshua, Jesus, is Lord. And, and this is found here, the basis for it, one of the places Ki li tikra ko berk, tishava ko lashon. For to me, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall, shall swear, take an oath. I, now look at verse 24, surely in the Lord, to me, he said, righteousness and power. Now, this is the verse that I mentioned earlier, verse 24, that the New International Version, instead of translating the word tzedakot for righteousness, and by the way, it's in the plural. It speaks about an abundance, a complete righteousness, a righteousness that is overflowing. And it doesn't speak about righteousness the NIV here speaks about deliverance. This is not at all a proper way to render this. He says, I in the Lord, he says, but surely, let's get this right, surely in the Lord to me he has said righteousness and power. Unto him he will come. Meaning the one who wants this righteousness and wants this power this one will come. But then it says, they will be ashamed, all those who are angry with him. So why would they be angry? Because they don't want righteousness. They don't want the will of God. They don't want what God has promised. And what is that? His kingdom's coming and his will will be done. 
much of the world, in fact, the vast majority of the world, as we move closer to God moving to bring about this righteous change, His will, they are going to be angered by this. They are going to rebel against this. Even when they are receiving the, the punishment of this rebelliousness and this sin, they will not confess their sin. They will not repent. Read what's going to happen when, when God pours out his judgment in the trumpet judgments and in the bold judgments. There is a refusal of repentance, even though they know this is from God. This is his will. He's angry because of sin. They don't care. They are eternally rebellious, and they are going to receive the outcome of such rebellion. So he says here, verse 24, Surely in the Lord to me he has said righteousness and power. Unto him he will come. But they shall be ashamed. Who's that? All who are angry with him. And now our last verse, verse 25. In the Lord they will be made righteous. Now, another way to think of this is the theological term justified, justification. Now, in, in the New Covenant, this is, of course, the Old Covenant, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And, and for the most part, in Hebrew, the same word for righteousness and, and justice is used. Now, we have the term mishpat, and the word tzedek. Two different words for justice and righteousness, but they're very, very similar. So much so that in the New Testament, we just have one word, not two. And the ideal here is this, that it's speaking about being made righteous, and we call that in theology justification. So he says, in the Lord, remember what we learned about this phrase, in the Lord, it, it expresses a covenantal relationship. Just like Paul, over and over, he hammers the term Bamashiach, in Messiah, in Christ. All these benefits from being in Christ. What does that mean? In a new covenant relationship with him. So here it's the same thing. In the Lord, in a covenantal relationship with the Lord, they will be justified. They will be made righteous. And what are they going to do about that? That righteousness is now their eternal condition, not rebelliousness, but righteousness. It says they will praise. And who's the one doing the praise? Well, notice we have in, in the end of verse 24 and verse 25, two different groups. The first group in the 24, all those who are angry with him, they are going to be what? eternally ashamed but all the seed of israel these are the ones that are going to be justified made righteous and because of that what are they going to do yet hallelujah they are going to praise the implication is praise him so it comes down to just one of two things either you are going to say yes to god god i want to come out of this world i want to repent i want to embrace your righteous standards. I'm unable to do it in and of myself. I am corrupted with sin. 
I have that carnal, sinful nature, what Judaism calls the Yitzhahara, that evil inclination to do wrong. And we can't save ourselves. The only hope is that gospel message, whereby faith, one becomes a new creation. One receives redemption. And that redemption is sealed with the indwelling, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And through the ministry, we can also say the anointing of the Spirit, we can live righteously. We can manifest our commitment to the righteous standards of God and His righteous will. And that we will pray fervently, Your kingdom come and Your will be done. This is the message of Isaiah. And this second part of Isaiah 45, that there's going to be two groups of people, those that are going to be eternally ashamed and therefore punished, condemned, and those that are going to be eternally justified in the kingdom of God, embracing the righteousness of God and demonstrating the righteousness of God. Here's the last thing I want to say. If you accept the gospel, you have the special call. You and you alone and people like you are the only ones that can live righteously, can bear testimony. When it talks about praising him, yes, we praise him with our words, but let us also praise him with our righteous deeds. This gives testimony to others concerning the truth that our God is the one true God. There is no other. We belong to him and we are committed to his purposes. That's what Isaiah is revealing and encouraging the people of Israel. Almost 3,000 years ago, 27, 2800 years ago, to embrace. And that message hasn't changed. That call is still available. And my hope is that we take hold of it and implement it in our life so that we can be truly those who worship God, who praise Him in spirit and in truth. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.